Budget considerations are often simplified to just revenue and costs, with commentators expecting governments to follow household budget principles. Fiscal responsibility is boiled down to slogans. Don't spend more than you earn, have an emergency fund, and what you do spend, spend wisely. However, governments have more complex challenges beyond just balancing the books. In this episode, we discuss what fiscal responsibility means in 2023. Our guests assess how fiscally responsible the Canadian federal government is acting and share thoughts on improving our financial situation given known pressures and potential future events. I'm Michael Bassett, and you're listening to Economics Matters, a Conference Board of Canada podcast. My guests this episode are the Conference Board of Canada's Chief Economist, Pedro Antunis, and the founding president and CEO of the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy at the University of Ottawa, Kevin Page. Pedro and Kevin, welcome to Economics Matters. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, Michael. Listeners of a certain age will hear the words fiscal responsibility and immediately an image of Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin will come to mind. The Martin-Chrétien 1990s battle against deficit and debt was, for a time, the going definition of fiscal responsibility. And at that time, there was a broad consensus that the government needed to reduce the national debt. How was certainly contentious. But there's a broad national agreement on the need to rein in deficits and debts. Today, it seems there's multiple definitions of what it means for a government to be fiscally responsible, and any consensus around debts and deficits has evaporated. Spending's the currency of the day, and the costs, well, the costs will be borne by future generations. So as a starting point for our listeners, can you explain how you approach the topic of fiscal responsibility and describe the key issues that you see in the discussion today? Peter, why don't you start? I do remember the days of balanced budgets. It was almost taboo for any government, provincial or federal, to talk about deficits or to not be looking at a plan to be balanced and be in, in surpluses. In fact, a lot of provinces put out balanced budget legislation, which to most economists, we would see that as not a wise option. Times have certainly changed since then, and we know the current government has come in on a platform of small and sustainable deficits, with essentially the fiscal anchor being that the debt-to-GDP ratio stays stable or is declining. We have, obviously, through the pandemic, seen that anchor be moved a little bit. Certainly, we had to take on a substantial amount of debt to fend off the effects of shutting down the economy during the pandemic. If we look at where we are today and going forward, we do need to think a little bit more carefully about what it is to be fiscally prudent, especially when we think about the long-term commitments that we have, both federal and provincial governments, the aging demography and the healthcare burden that we're also talking about greening the economy. And we're talking about expanding some of the programs that the federal government has already put in place, like daycare and dental care, for instance. We need to look carefully at how can we afford these things and prepare for perhaps more stress on the fiscal situation. The government's current plan is still one where we see debt to GDP rising a little bit short term because of the weak economy that we have in the short run, but then stabilizing. An important measure for me is to not let the interest costs as a share of revenue, in other words, the debt financing costs as a share of revenue grow. And we do have that growing over the near term, but over the long term, the intent is to see that stabilize and come down. That, to me, is ultimately 
the most important piece on the fiscal sustainability is that we don't see debt financing costs rising as a share of revenue. I agree with Pedro that to run balanced budgets, actually, when we look historically, like since the Second World War, is more the exception than the rule. I do agree that your opening point, Michael, that the Martin Krechen period from sort of mid-1990s to the Harper era, 2007 and eight, like to have 11 years of balanced budget surpluses was kind of the high water mark for fiscal correction in Canada. That particular period of time, the debt to GDP ratio was cut in half. And annual balanced budgets was really quite astounding, even when you compare Canada's record with other OECD countries. In terms of the way an economist would look at this question of fiscal responsibility, I think there's two dimensions. There's a shorter term dimension where we kind of look at the fiscal stance of government relative to the economy, where it is in a cycle. And right now in the current context, we're running deficits of about one and a half percent of GDP. They're about $40 billion federally. It's a modest deficit, but it's still a deficit and the economy is operating pretty close to trend, most people would say. But as Pedro said, we're heading into a weaker period. You know, we could be a little bit closer to balance just from a pure arithmetic point of view in terms of the cycle. We want to get fiscal policy, monetary policy working together to deal with getting inflation back into the target zone. The second dimension is the longer term dimension. It's looking at fiscal sustainability. Pedro alluded to it. Do we have a fiscal structure in place that stabilizes debt relative to income or GDP in the face of aging demographics? When you look at the finance numbers that were released as part of the budget, when you look at the last fiscal sustainability report of the Priority Budget Office, right now the current fiscal structure in Canada is fiscally sustainable. Just from those two metrics, relatively modest deficit, fiscally sustainable structure, you can make the case that on balance that the Liberals at this present time are fiscally responsible, though that is a hotly debated issue. Just on that very last point, I could disagree a little bit here with Kevin because, Kevin, you mentioned that we're at trend. Uh, In fact, I think the economy is really overheated in many respects, especially with respect to our capacity on labor markets. The situation that we have currently is monetary policy. The objective of monetary policy is really to slow the economy down because essentially we're above capacity. And in an environment where we're above capacity, where the unemployment rate is at record low levels, we would possibly look for a government to be in a balanced budget situation. In other words, even a $40 billion deficit is fairly substantial as a share of GDP. You could critique in a situation where we are at full employment, the federal government could be running a balanced budget and not be adding to inflationary pressures with that extra $40 billion. Just to continue the conversation, it's just so much fun to be able to exchange with Pedro that a $40 billion deficit, one and a half percentage of GDP is modest in the context of everything being relative. And everything being relative is the size of the deficit in the US and the UK. So we're one and a half percent. Deficit is the percentage of income in the US and the UK is both between five and six percentage points. Now, people will argue, well, somebody else jumps off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge, which is a fair point. So I think Pedro's right. We could probably be a little bit lower, but it's really marginal. The other relativity is, again, just a couple of years ago, we were running deficits, almost $330 billion in 2020-21. That's about 14 percentage points of GDP. The year after 21-22, we brought it down to 90. Then we brought it down to a little over 40. It's a massive pulling away of the fiscal largesse just in a short period of time. Yeah, I think Pedro's point as well, like if we could get through this sort of difficult period in 2023 because of the monetary tightening, 
there's room to get back to balance over the next few years. And we did not see that in the 2023 budget. 2023 feels like the first year since 2020 that everything doesn't need to be attached or couched in some kind of a pandemic narrative. And we're dealing with life after that preoccupation of the pandemic. When you think about the big macroeconomic drivers that you're seeing influencing federal spending and how that fiscal situation is rolling out, what was your reaction to the 2023 federal budget from a, a fiscal perspective? For me, Michael, it feels that we're on like a little bit of an inflection point. And I think 2022 was actually, there was a lot of growth. Economy came back quite strong, particularly in the first half of the year, definitely weakened in that last quarter. But we saw significant, very quick monetary tightening. So the policy rate went from 25 basis points, the policy rate being the Bank of Canada's key lending rate went from 25 basis points to about 4.5 percentage points. So it's really a massive increase, many increases. 2023, the year that we're facing, we're in this sort of policy lag kind of period. We expect a slowdown. And so even in the forecast that Minister Freeland table, which is the average private sector forecast, there was virtually no growth on an annual average basis in 2020. It's a very different year. I think the government had to be a little bit cautious in this environment. As we think about 24, 25, all these big issues of Canada's competitiveness, our energy transition plans, our climate change plans, these issues of resiliency in the economy, the ability to withstand financial shocks or climate shocks, we need to put those under a microscope and look longer term on those. Kevin mentioned the improving deficit situation that we've had because a lot of the programs that we put in place to support households and businesses were, in fact, elastic, as I remember the Bank of Canada governor putting it. In other words, they come in and they're temporary and they fill a role while they're needed and then they come back off. I think some of the improvement that we've seen in the fiscal situation is largely due because these programs have come to an end. And that's, I guess, a good thing. The problem, though, is we have added fundamental costs to our fiscal situation. And those are the debt that we took on with those programs that has added permanently to our debt financing costs. Of course, interest rates, as Kevin just mentioned, have come up substantially. So that is another piece that's changed. We no longer have cheap financing for households or for governments going forward. So I think that's a really important piece to consider. The other pieces, of course, are healthcare costs. We've seen a ramp up in healthcare. A lot of healthcare is delivered through wages. We've seen a ramp up in the cost of healthcare through the pandemic. There's a lot of pressure still on the healthcare system. Most Canadians would say that the healthcare system is very broken even today, even though we've ramped up spending over the last couple of years, the pressures on that are going to continue. We have seen the federal government commit to larger transfers, as we saw even just prior to this budget, but this is going to be an ongoing burden going forward. But then there are other programs that we've put into this budget, which I thought was going to be a little more frugal from our finance minister's discussion prior to the budget. But essentially, we've seen some permanent increases in dental costs, for instance. We know the daycare program. These are good programs. I, I think they're terrific programs, but they are going to add permanently to our costs. The dental care program is one that's going to be $14 billion a year in just a few years. Debt financing costs will be at $50 billion a year in just a few years. These are things that we need to consider. And then, of course, there's the greening of the economy. 
we have very little up front in this budget to address that issue. We're not going to meet those targets that we committed to in the Paris Accord. There's only about $20 billion in green incentives over the course of the next few years as per the 2023 budget. A lot of it is back-end loaded basically beyond 2027-28. So who knows if we'll have the funding, if we'll have the situation, if we'll have the economic growth to be able to fund that in those latter years. Lots and lots of concerns, I think. And this is why I argue that perhaps we could have been a little more frugal up front, uh, put some socks of money away so that we can look to address some of these issues longer term. I agree with like, Pedro. I think there's an opportunity in this environment to be more frugal. Like, I still think 2023 is just this dark cloud that's hanging over our heads. So it's a bit hard to see. If you look at just the size of the economy now, vis-a-vis where the Liberals thought the economy was going to be, say, in 2019, before the pandemic, you'd see that the size of the economy is quite a bit bigger. And part of it is because growth came back in real terms, but part of it is that because of this higher inflation. There's a real opportunity in this bigger economy and this higher revenue take that comes with a bigger economy to drive down that deficit over the next number of years. You think another issue that I think people have been rightly critical of the government is that they have not really constrained themselves since they've taken office in 2015. At best, they've had this longer term, they call it a fiscal anchor, or some people call it a fiscal rule, but declining debt to GDP ratio. As long as the GDP is going up, and we've seen it go up quite dramatically in 2022, their ability to hit their target is actually quite easy from the point of view of a medium term. But there's no kind of annual targets. In terms of frugality, there is no prudence built around these sort of deficit projections or spending projections year after year after year. So they don't want to constrain themselves. But I think in this context of this bigger economy, this windfall that we've gotten from this really strong snapback in the economy in 2021 22, we could easily get back to balance. We could build prudence into the framework. We could constrain ourselves year by year by year. And then that would probably be a bit more Martin Krechen esque in terms of the 1990s, early 2000s experience. You've both talked about the spending pressures that are coming. The focus is really not on reining in spending. Simple math says you either need to spend less or earn more. And for a government, that's increasing that revenue side. Or as you say, Kevin, growing the economy such that the debt overall compared to your overall economic picture doesn't matter as much. While there were faint rumors of a GST increase, nothing really came to pass. Do you think revenue increases through taxation or other means are going to be needed? Or do we think we could actually just grow our way out of caring about these deficits and debts? And in that situation, I alluded to it at the beginning in my framing, um, this question of who's going to pay for it. And so what would you say to those who are worried that if we don't get the situation more in hand now, we are actually going to be taking from tomorrow for today and then leaving future generations to sort out the consequences. I do think that sooner or later we're going to need tax increases. Thinking big picture around both the fiscal burden that we have at the federal and provincial levels of government, we have seen the federal government now commit to higher transfers to the provinces. A lot of programs that are going to be benefiting provincial governments as well. We talked about the daycare program, the dental care program. These are all programs that are going to be delivered through the provinces. Where those taxes happen will depend on that balance between the federal and the provincial governments. But yeah, I think it will have to happen at some point. 
I mean, it's not to take away from the efforts that were made in terms of frugal budget, because there was some frugal measures in the budget. We, in fact, saw about $12 billion worth of cuts to federal government departments and to consulting together. Those two items were about $12 billion over the next five years. Perhaps there's ways for government to deliver more efficiently. We've done lots of work at the conference board looking at can we deliver healthcare more efficiently, for example. And I don't know that we've seen a lot of success yet on that front, but perhaps there's hope for the future. Somewhere along the way, there's going to have to be uh, some tax increases. I wasn't expecting to see a GST increase, even though there was some opinions around that. But perhaps we will see the carbon taxes that are going to be ramped up over the next number of years. Perhaps those will not be as revenue neutral going forward as they have been up until now. I think that's one way where we can bring in some revenues. Too many commitments, too many things. We didn't even talk about our commitments to NATO, for example. We talked about our commitments on greening the economy. I don't think we're there yet on the funding required for that. We're certainly far away from our NATO commitments. We're running about $20 billion a year shy of getting to 2% of GDP. Who knows what the future might hold? We may very well end up with another hit to the economy, another recession, another pandemic. We may need funding for another crisis. I don't think we're ready for that at this point. There was a conversation taking place around the pandemic, or just the kind of the role of government, the ideological kind of conversation. Do we need more government, stabilized economies to help with transitions? We saw governments come in and play a significant role during COVID in terms of you know locking down economies and then providing enormous supports for households and for businesses. This conversation goes on in a kind of a post-COVID environment. Do we need to think about the role of the public sector vis-a-vis the private sector to facilitate, say, energy transition? Do we need a stronger safety net to deal with these sorts of shocks, these big shocks that we've seen in 2008 and 2020? We need to think about inclusion. I think that's part of the conversation that Pedro and the conference board have weighed into with respect to inheritance tax and, and or wealth taxes in general. Do we need the public sector to play a greater role in dealing with these sorts of weather-related type of shocks, making us more climate resilient. And so if that is the case, that we need a larger government, then I think obviously we need to look structurally at the tax system and we need to think about the overall revenue take and how much more does it need to be for these ideological kinds of reasons. And that could be debated, the sort of size of government. Over top of that, of course, are those spending gaps, Michael, that you and Pedro talked about with respect to healthcare or national defense or potentially even infrastructure gaps that we're probably going to have that'll be related more to energy transition that we're just going to need to spend money on. I think we probably do need more revenue to be remain fiscally sustainable over the long term. I don't know how we get that conversation politically. I don't know that it could happen in, say, in a 2023 environment, because we're really talking about a recessionary environment this year because of the monetary policy tightening. Politicians have really struggled with these issues in leading up to elections. So if it does happen, it'll be people like Pedro and the conference board and other strong institutions really kind of talking about this broader issue of fiscal sustainability role of government. I don't see how we get there in this current political environment. Nobody wants to talk about higher taxes in a minority parliament scenario. What words of advice would you provide to government policymakers as they're navigating? Let's just list out some of the things that they're dealing with. Fiscal sustainability, growth, inflation, rising interest rates, war in Ukraine, climate change, energy transition, and any of the other myriad priorities that we're going to be facing in the next five to 10 years. 
what words of advice would you be providing? Those are like big question marks that you've kind of highlighted, Michael, that face policymakers that I'm sure are being discussed anytime politicians or and public servants are having these sort of significant retreats. We need strategies and plans to deal with those issues. Strategies and plans to deal with fiscal sustainability. It worked for the Liberals in the mid-1990s in terms of restoring fiscal balance in this country over a 10, 11-year period. They had a plan. They focused on deficit reduction, debt reduction, and we saw enormous changes. The Harper government, the Justin Trudeau government, they had the fiscal buffers to deal with those shocks. We can see the value as well, but we need a plan. And we don't have the government really committing to a fiscal sustainability plan. You could say that we have a climate change plan. Like you could go online and the Liberals do have a climate change plan. There's sector by sector numbers. There's pricing involved into it. Pedro talked about the carbon taxes. There's investments. There's, we're using the tax system to subsidize these credits to facilitate the investments in certain types of green technologies. So there's a sense of a plan. I, just, I don't think anybody has confidence in the scale. Change is not happening, as Pedro mentioned. That is consistent with the 2030 track. We need to see plans. And we know we need a different infrastructure system that is much more electrified, that electricity comes from renewables. But we don't see the plan. Like There's just not an unwillingness to put down the strategy and the plan in a way that we could hold people accountable. If there's a deja vu, it's kind of going back into maybe all the way back in the 80s where we talked about like what is the plan for trade? What is the plan for sales taxes? and those sorts of things. And we develop those plans. And then I think the private sector can engage in a different way. I would agree that we need more clarity on the climate change plan. And I just don't think we have enough information. And we certainly don't have enough information about the cost of that transition. I think it's going to be a lot more expensive than we might be planning for. The other one, Michael, that you mentioned is the war in Ukraine. I just go back to President Biden's visit and uh, how strong we were in Parliament about supporting Ukraine through to the end of this, no matter what it took. But there's also going to be at some point a rebuilding phase, and I think Canada is going to be heavily involved in that. That's going to be costly. That is going to add a significant burden to global sovereign debt levels, I think. So we need to keep that in mind and what will be our commitment to that, not to mention the other things that we've talked about, like defense and others. You know, I think I keep my words of advice to something I know perhaps a little bit better than, than uh, policy. Uh, policy and politics is, is really hard. But certainly when I look at my day-to-day -day job, which is around the economy, I think we could do more on growing the economy and more focused on growing the economy. It doesn't necessarily require more money. Where we've been criticized and, in fact, embarrassed because the OECD prior to the 2022 budget came out with a forecast for Canada that had us growing in terms of our real GDP per capita at the lowest pace of all OECD countries. So that was a real embarrassment. What they're looking at is the level of private investment, private investment in productive capital that is lacking in Canada in comparison to other economies. I think a lot of that has to do with certainty. We're really hammered and hard hit because of the protectionist administrations that we've had in the U.S. I mean, investors were really concerned about having access to the U.S. consumer. And I think some of that has passed, but some of it continues, and we need to address that. We need to be strong and forceful in our trade negotiations. But the other piece is the ease of investing in Canada, the ease of environmental approvals and other approvals to get those big investment projects going. I think we need more clarity around that. We need to review and make sure that businesses understand what the processes are, that they have certainty 
around their investment and their investment decision. We could also do more in terms of incenting investment. Economists, if you go back to the Chicago school, they always say, oh, you don't want to subsidize investment. But the problem is that a lot of other countries are doing that. And so we need to be competitive. And I think this is where some of the uh, incentives for greening the economy are coming into play just to counter what's going on in the U.S., for instance. Lots of things, but I think we do need to do better on attracting private investment in this country. Kevin and Pedro, this has been a great conversation, obviously a conversation that will continue as we go forward, but really appreciate both of you taking the time to give your thoughts and perspectives on where we are as relates to fiscal responsibility and the other pressures that we're facing. You're welcome. A pleasure. Economics Matters is a Conference Board of Canada podcast. You can check out more economic outlooks and analysis at conferenceboard.ca. If you like what you hear, leave us a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.